Hello and welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week we are discussing episode eight of season five, The Party's Over. Which party is over? Which party is over? Which party is over in this title, do you think? What What is it referring to? All of them. All the parties. Yes. Life's over. Life is not a party. Life sucks. <laughs> I mean, so obviously it's the obvious party of Emily and Richard. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's um, Lorelai's view of her daughter in the sense of like how she raised her not in the Gilmore world. Mm-hmm. And now she's starting to see that maybe she really fits in and likes the Gilmore world. Right. So for me, I always felt like it was um, a double meaning this episode. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, I don't think Dean and Rory's relationship was a party, but like. No, that... I never, first of all, not <laughs> even once crossed my mind, just FYI. <laughs> uh, that's what I always think. Like, obviously, I think the, the party of, of Everton and Emily's house, but I also think yeah. of. Like, it, it it ends their relationship. Their relationship in air quotes, whatever the hell that was. I mean, we'll get into it when we very briefly, hopefully, touch on Rory and Dean. But, um, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't a relationship. No. And you're right. There's are, there are a lot of overtones, um, especially toward, especially in the, the closing minutes of the episode towards... Oh, yeah. Um... And Lorelai's view of her daughter, as you said, and it's a it's a big foreshadow. We talked about it a few weeks ago in terms of Christopher reappearing and then um, Emily and Richard kind of attacking Luke for not meeting meeting their standards for their their daughter. And it's it's all gonna culminate. Just you wait. Just yeah. You wait. <laughs> I think the reason I like this season so much. A lot of people don't like season five. The reason I like this season so much is because it's very subtle in its storylines. Mm-hmm. But it also, um, I don't know, it, it it's it's like ahead of its time, kind of, in the sense of it's setting things up for the future. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we're starting to see rifts in relationships that we, we haven't before. Yeah. Um, not just the obvious one of Lorelai and Rory, but just, um, I don't know, all kinds of things happen in the season that you that are subtle when they happen, but then you're like, oh, remember, you know? So, yeah. Do you mean like it's ahead of its time in that it established, it like lays the groundwork for a lot of I stuff? Meant, I, I didn't make it was a groundbreak. I didn't mean it was like groundbreaking television. I meant it's ahead of its time in the sense of, um, in the story, in the plot, shall we say. Okay. okay that's what I thought you meant. It was a bad choice of words. I'm sorry. It was the only one that came to me. <laughs> and as you were saying, and I was thinking of that, of that gif of, of Christina Aguilera saying like maybe it was ahead of its time for some people talking about one of her albums. <laughs> no, honey, never. Um, no, it was just the only words that can come to me. I meant ahead <laughs> in the sense of it lays the groundwork for a lot of really important plot points that become really important plot plot points not only later in the season but also later in the show. I find. Yes, for sure. So shall we start with? Um, I don't know. I'll give you the choice. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Lane and Zach so we can get it out of the way? Okay. Well, yeah, that seems to be a common theme this season of the podcast. Honestly, I'm just, it's amazing to me. I know, I knew I didn't like the relationship, obviously. 
Mm-hmm. But I never imagined that I would care this little for the purposes of a podcast. Do you like, care? Always... Do you Sorry, care? Less, do you care less about Zach and Lane than you did about um, Suki and Jackson when we were analyzing them um, in season three? Yeah, I do actually. Like, remember how remember how little we we cared for Suki and like we both agreed like if never have we once said like we need to know more of Suki's backstory like never once did we want that yeah so even in this episode I find the most important um or I would say the thing that I was drawn to the most with Lane's story is her is the return of Mrs. Kim in a certain sense Mm, mm -hmm. and her kind of being um like a big sister to Kyun like I couldn't care less about Zach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you care more about her kind of becoming uh, Kian's mentor. and yeah. Miss, and Miss, Well, and then you think, of course, I'm skipping ahead now, but you think Mrs. Kim has turned a corner and then she verbally assaults someone on the street. Yeah, but you know what? She verbally assaults Zach, so I don't even care. <laughs> no, honestly, honest to God, every time I watch season five, um, and I'm 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 thinking of it, you know, with my notebook open, and I'm trying to think of different angles to kind of analyze the show. I'm I'm always telling myself to make an effort whenever Zach and Lane are on the screen, and I swear to God that falls apart within 30 seconds. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah, I'll make one note, and I know you're I know you're gonna say you don't care, and <laughs> and it all falls apart. Yeah, it's just, uh, sorry, I was think, I was just, like, trying to verbalize it in another way, but I can't. I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that being said, we should at least touch upon Zach and Lane's relationship and how, I guess, Mrs. Kim finally finds out that Lane is dating. Mm-hmm. Because even though she kind of knew with Dave... Well, she did know because it took her. He took her to prom and she gave permission. Um, I guess it's the first time that Mrs. Kim is having to deal with. Well, not only is her daughter moving out and like living her own life in theory, I think for Mrs. Kim it's very much like, well, it's because she's listening to the music that she wants to listen to and playing in a band. You know, it never really occurred to her that like dating was also going to be a thing. Yeah, and I would argue that like Lane and Dave had virtually no time to form a relationship because it was only by the end of season three where like Mrs. Kim finally allows them to go to prom and prom like yeah. and prom happens and then college and Dave's and Dave's gone, you know? So there was no there was there was all of that time they spent building up their relationship in season three and then nothing happened. So uh, yeah, it was her relationship with Zach was pretty much the first concrete unfortunately relationship that we'd seen her have that you know went went beyond just fighting to be together yeah and I mean I think even with Dave they at least laid the groundwork you know there was a plan and there was you know I'm gonna get to know your mom in the capacity of being a guitar like playing music for her at her functions and you know like he was he was a willing participant you know yeah which is why why it angers me so much that he left for the OC (laughs) Yeah, we know. We get it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, with Zach, it's very obvious that he's not the type of guy to get embroiled in, like, family drama. And he even says it at one point. He's like, I'm not the guy that you bring home to mom. And we're like, well, that's fucking obvious. <laughs> I wouldn't but, want to bring home to my mother either. 
I mean, I don't think anyone would, but I do have to give him props for being very self-aware, I yeah. think. Um, but that's what makes me hate the relationship even more is that I feel like he doesn't get her. Yeah, he he tries, but not in the way that the audience needs him to. Yeah, and you know, I think part of it is the way it's written, right? We don't know anything about Zach's home life, um, you know, but it, I think it's obvious that he's not really relationship type, and this is new for him, whatever. But we have spent four and a half years getting to know Lane and knowing that Mrs. Kim is important to her, even though we do have even though they have their differences, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, him him just saying, like, I don't do moms. It's like, well, you know, like, you're dating someone pretty seriously. Eventually, you're going to have to do moms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, so the the whole thing was just weird. I did enjoy Mrs. Kim yelling at him. Um, I did enjoy all her, her you know, fruity language. You <laughs> wild pig of filth. Like, okay. that was hilarious. Yes, okay. It's hilarious in theory that she's yelling at Zach, a character that we do not like. But yeah, does that give her the right to, like, to yell at a boy that someone saw her daughter, like, embrace and kiss once in public? Uh, no, absolutely not. But I'm just like, you go, Mrs. Kim, because I hate Zach. If it was <laughs> any other parent, I would have been like, how dare she? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I guess it's, it's interesting to, to, to show how much Mrs. Kim still cares because I know you kind of felt what, when we knew she still cared especially at the end of season four when she tried to visit and you know freaked out and ran away and then came back but I think in season five like you said we haven't seen very much of her yet so to have her just like come up to Zach on the street and start yelling it just it, it, it proves that Lane is still her daughter regardless of their differences you know yeah and I think that you know, we're going to see in later seasons as well. You don't have to approve of your children's choices, um, but they're still your children. Mm-hmm. And I think Mrs. Kim, especially in season four, had a really hard time with that concept. Yeah. Um, But we know Mrs. Kim and she was never going to, you know, I guess give up without a fight is not the right words, but Lane is still her baby kind of thing. And especially as you find out, like, remember remember in season four, I brought up how, you know, Lane, like, at that point, Lane was 18. Like, you're not a kid anymore. And you Mm -hmm. kind of said, hmm, that's not really the attitude or the mentality in ethnic families. And I I wouldn't really know that, but you would. So um, I think the way that Mrs. Kim, from her Korean culture, cultural standpoint, might be different like that, you know, that's why her like her conservative values are even more conservative than an, an American's conservative values. You know, like it's a whole other it's a whole other ballpark. Yeah. And I think that I don't know if I also said this during the when we were having that discussion with Mrs. Kim, but it's also very I wouldn't say very odd, but and I, I think it's becoming more mainstream now. But at least in my culture, like it's not. You don't move out necessarily just because you're 18, right? Yeah. Um, you, it's very normal to stay, especially for girls. It's very normal to stay in the family home until you're ready to go off and get married. Yeah. Um, so I think that also that tradition also gives parents what they feel is the right to be extra critical of who you're dating and seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I think Mrs. Kim in season four had to let go of that a little bit. And she right. tried her best. She visited and whatever. But now I think she's realizing that she, you know, she gave a little in her mind, which means like, you know, she didn't really approve, but kind of approved of Lane leaving. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes with that. Right. <laughs> it's not it doesn't just stop at leaving. She's an adult and she's living her life. Um. So, yeah, I think there's just going to be a lot for them two to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell Mrs. Kim is not there yet, obviously. Yeah, especially like you can like she, you, when you said that it's kind of a cultural thing where you like it for a woman to not move out until she gets married. I think definitely Mrs. Kim had that ideal in her head. So to have her move, to have, have her daughter move out to not be married was like just a shock to the system yeah for sure but i think because it really happened in a non-traditional way Mm -hmm. um she didn't really give herself a chance to think of all the things that come with that right yeah so um now it's kind of hitting her and you know don't forget she doesn't know zach I don't want to know Zach. Unfortunately, we do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I'm saying, like, she doesn't know Zach, and we don't know what Kyun told her. Um, but, you know, like we said, she is very traditional, so the idea of her daughter embracing someone in public, when last season she was talking about how she's never been alone with two men in public, like, it's just, <laughs> you know, I get where she's coming from. I don't, I don't, I get it, but doesn't mean I agree, obviously. Yeah. Um. But I understand her reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think, like I said, the most compelling part of Lane's story in this whole episode was her taking Kyun under her wing. Yeah. Um, I have some issues, though, with, like, how they're portraying Kyun. Okay, so I was going to say, should we talk about Lane and Kyun before we move on from Mrs. Kim? Yeah, I definitely want to. Um. So Ken comes into the the diner and she has the flyers in her hands and she tells Lane, I'm so hungry <laughs> um, because it's flaxseed muffin month. Oh, boy. And um, sorry, but I couldn't handle flaxseed muffin day. <laughs> so that's off to Ken for flaxseed muffin month. She has her lipstick brush. Yeah. Oh God. Anyways. Um, so, you know, she's telling her, I think Lane kind of sees herself in Kyun. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially, like, poor kid, like, handing out flyers, you know? Yeah. So she gives her fries, and she's, you know, telling her you don't have to pray after every bite, because you're never going to get out of here. <laughs> um, so, you know. So when Lane confronts her, because she figures out that she's the one that told Mrs. Kim that she was hugging Zach in the diner, um... You know, she starts to divulge, like, all of her secrets for how she survived Mrs. Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a problem, like, with the way they're... I don't know, like, trying to convince us that South Koreans don't know what fries are? Yeah, I was going to say, like, calling them the devil's starchy fingers is a bit Well, extra. that was a Mrs. Kim thing. Like, that's fine. But... Again, I was trying to think to myself, okay, maybe she's like, she's an exchange student and maybe she's also coming from a, re- like a super religious family in Korea. 
So maybe there's certain things that her parents also didn't let her do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, South Korea is so way ahead of the curve. Yeah. You think they don't know what fries are? <laughs> <laughs> could be that, she, yeah, it could be that she was in a really ultra-religious family. Could have been she was in a really, like, rural area. Cut yeah, it could also everything. just be, like, like, that's what I was trying to explain to myself, too. Like, come on, Lenny. Like, <laughs> they're sending her to Mrs. Kim's. Maybe they're super religious also, you know? Yeah. But I was just like, come on. Let's make it a little bit realistic. Yeah, like, I don't think they were trying to make her necessarily seem dumb or, like, but I think they, I think they were trying to, I think it was a dumb, bit of... Dumb, but clueless. Yeah, clueless is a better word, clueless. I think that, I think it was a bit, they were relying a bit too much on, like, a cultural stereotype of Korean people a little, but not, not to the point where it was offensive, and, I, you know, it's, it's not my place to say whether or not it's offensive, but... Um, I, I don't know. I think, like you said, it, they were, they're trying, they obviously paired the right girl with the right exchange family. So, yeah, um, yeah you'd have to think that her, her family in South Korea must also be uh, similar to Mrs. Kim. Yeah. And I just, uh, I don't know. No, it wasn't. I don't think it's that deep, like you usually like to remind me. Mm-hmm. Um. And again, like, we're not the ones who should be questioning whether or not it's offensive or not. Yeah. Or saying whether or not it's offensive or not. But it's just, I, n- I never thought that they were trying to portray her as dumb, but just very, like, you know, I think a normal teenager would know that there's no machine that tells you what you're watching. Yeah. Exactly. In that case, I would have to think that her parents were, like, were just as strict as Mrs. Kim. Because you can't, yeah, you can't, you can't go from, you can't go from one family to another and yeah like that doesn't make that doesn't make sense yeah anyways so it was just like there were some stuff where i was like oh come on <laughs> like you're a 17 or 18 year old girl like come on yeah you know but yeah i that's the thing you have to imagine that maybe she was also from a really religious family but i do love the fact that lane is taking someone under her wing mm-hmm. um i don't know if lane sees anything wrong with I don't know like betraying Mrs. Kim I don't know if that's the right word but no like, I, I think it's more like surviving Mrs. Kim like she loves her mom but at a certain point she, her her lifestyle doesn't really flow with that of America so um I think in order to survive like flaxseed muffin month or, you know, having some sliver of entertainment or joy in life, like watching TV until she gets home, you know, um, I think she's just trying to give survival tips, not necessarily like discredit her mom, but acknowledge that like, uh, yeah, unless you find ways around certain stuff, life with Mrs. Kim is unlivable. Yeah, and I get that. It's just like... (laughs) You know, your mom did kick you out, her own flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. What do you think she's going to do to the poor Korean exchange student? I think she's trying to, like, we, you know, we discussed this in season four, but she's trying to obviously mold Kion, who's rather, um, you know, rather innocent and clueless, into the into the Korean daughter she didn't have. The Korean daughter she did have rebelled against that, you know, teaching method, parenting method. Yeah. So... I think she's similar to, um, you know, how rich, not really similar, but it's not, it's not really on the same comparison scale, but similar to how um, 
Richard and Emily kind of also groom a certain other granddaughter of theirs into, you know, the daughter they never had, or they tried yeah. to, at least. Do you think, like, this is just a question that I'm thinking of now, but do you think that because, like, her parenting didn't work on Lane, she's going extra hard <laughs> with Kyun? Yeah, probably. She's yeah. I think she would have to like look 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 at herself and be like, hey, well, this this didn't work on Lane, so you know, I, <laughs> I maybe it's not that deep, but it could be. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like, you know, maybe in Mrs. Kim mind, she's like, I wasn't strict enough, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, whoa, Nelly, yes, you were, um, <laughs> and that's I would argue that's why your child rebelled, um. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was just something I was thinking about. But there's a, lot, kind of there's a lot of parallels, but you know, in this case between Lane and Lorelai and the ways in which they, the ways in which their mothers didn't give them what they needed growing up. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense though for a show like this because at its core, like the show is about parenting and mothers yeah. and daughters and how the style usually doesn't jive. Yeah. Um, and how mothers and daughters, no matter how close they are, are always not going to see eye to eye sometimes. Yep. Like, ask any girl who was a teenager with her mother, as much as you love your mother, I'm guessing you, there was at least a period of time in your life where you guys wanted to murder each other. <laughs> and fun fact, consider, like, just just to emphasize how, you know, how much universal resonance that theme has across multiple different cultures. Um, piece of trivia, I'm sure you know. Maybe, maybe listening, not all, all of our listeners might be aware, but Amy Sherman Palladino sold the sold Gilmore Girls to the WB based on a concept alone. She was like, "How about a show about mothers and daughters who are more best friends than they are, uh, you know, mother and daughter?" And they were like, "Sure, we'll buy that." And then she was like, yeah. "Oh crap! Now I have to actually." go home and write something <laughs> all i had was all i had was a sentence you know yeah essentially she just had an idea and she didn't really have a script or anything and she was like hey family friendly network yeah <laughs> but i think honestly the reason they bought it number one is because they're a family friendly network but number two is also because of the fact that um they they're not dumb and i think they know that mothers and daughters don't usually get along yeah. And what mothers and daughters watching a show like this that they could have a relationship to kind of look up to would be a gold mine for them. Yeah. Because I remember was... watching this as a kid with my mom and my mm-hmm. mom being like, Why can't we be like them? And I'm like, Because you're a dumb little shit. <laughs> like, you're a dumb little and we fight, you know? But you know. Anyways. Yeah, I think it was, was and it was the and it was the era of like seventh heaven too, where that kind of was the gold of was the gold standard for family, like family drama on the WB. So I think they're probably looking a to kind of emulate that similar type of family friendly viewing. You know, mothers and daughters can watch together. But mm-hmm. like also let's, you know, how, add a little bit of spice to. I don't think that was the WB saying that. Maybe I'm sure that was Amy Sherman Palladino being like, let's add a little bit of spice to this formula. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. But I think you know, um, we often overlook some of the other parenting relationships mm-hmm. in the show just because it's not the Gilmores. Yeah. But I would argue that, yeah, there's a, like you said, a lot of parallels between what the elder Gilmores are doing with um, Rory and what Mrs. Kim, you know, that, that old 
mother knows best kind of thing or parents oh. know best. Oh, yes. Um, that's definitely evident with Mrs. Kim's relationship with Lane. Yes. Yeah. All right, moving on. Should we talk about Dean? Should we get him out of the way next? Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something, but then I was like, you're too mean. But I'm too mean. Okay, now I have no, to say me, it. me. I was talking to myself, <laughs> as I usually do. Well, um, we ha- I think we've said a lot of mean things about Dean on this podcast until now. Oh, for sure. I'm not even not even going to deny it. Of course we have. <laughs> so please tell us what new mean thing you have to say about Dean. No, no, it's fine. Let's talk about the show. <laughs> okay, fine. Mm-hmm. It'll probably come out anyway. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So when we first see Dean in this episode, um, they're having lunch in the back room of Dosi's. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's just amazing to see how over it they both are. So in the past episode, I was like, Rory's over it. She doesn't care. But now it's like he also looks super over it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I know what you mean by over it. I wouldn't necessarily describe it that way. It's kind of like. Um, like, Rory's definitely over it in the sense that when she eat, when she asks Dean about it, her article, and he literally is all like, "Oh, I don't know, you know, I, I, I just know I read it and I liked it. You're the writer. I don't, I don't know how to have critical thinking skills." Um, Can I ask you something? Yes. <laughs> when you do that voice, <laughs> like, if someone were to ask you to do, like, what category would that fall under? Like, what accent do you think that is? Like. <laughs> actor like under special skills and accents how would you describe that one um it's a very random question i know uh, but every time you do it i feel like asking you and i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna ask you <laughs> i don't like goofy goofy mockery voice <laughs> i don't know specific accent it's not of a it's not of a specific region necessarily uh, <laughs> um i don't know like goofy cartoon voice <laughs> okay i thought you're gonna say like monster truck yeehaw yeah, sure. Let's go with that. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, you can see right away that I wrote in my notes, like, even Dean knows he's too lame for Rory. Like, you can just see it. Yeah. Like, he's not. And it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say, like, they're both over it and no one has the courage to end it. Like, I don't I don't really get that from this storyline. Maybe you do, but. I do. What I get from it is. Like they're both they 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 were both looking for different things and getting back together. Like he, you know, was still hung up on her clearly even when he after he got married and it destroyed his marriage. And she was in a weird place in her first year of college, not knowing, you know, not really knowing how to find her footing as an adult just yet. And looking back to that those nostalgic high school days of Stars Hollow where she and Dean were in puppy love. And, you know, she wanted that she wanted that feeling of that comforting feeling of home back. She didn't necessarily want to not grow up, but she wanted just she wanted something she could hold on to. And that's all she could think of was Dean and Stars Hollow and nobody letting me down kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think they both had the wrong intentions going into this, obviously. And I don't know. You can see to me, I see it in both their faces. Like Rory's realizing now, like, oh, she just had a really interesting, like a really interesting life experience with the Life and Death Brigade, wrote this really cool article. Um, like, she's, I think she's feeling herself as a journalist for one of the first times, and, like, it's a feature piece, and, like, she's, telling, yeah. like, asking Dean about it, and he's like, 
I don't know. I just uh, blah 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 blah. And <laughs> I don't know. He just it, you can see it in her face. She's she's just like disappointed that oh well, you know I wanted a bit more. I wanted a bit more than just I read it and I liked it. And he I think when he makes a comment in that scene in the stock room wherever the hell they are um he says you know well you have to you're dating an ivy league girl you have to pull out all the stops or something and it's like you can just see it in his face and in his voice like he's he's not his heart's not in it and it's like why like why would you lead like i'm not saying he's leading her on but it's like why why bother like why you know i just it it bothers me <laughs> yeah i mean for me it's always I, I think it's safe to say that, like, for Dean has always had this insecurity mm-hmm. about dating Rory um, and how much, you know, m- smarter, I guess, is the way he would quantify it, but also I would quantify it. Uh, but, you know, just more um, interesting mm-hmm. overall. Um, he's always had that insecurity. That's nothing new, you know. Yeah, especially, for, especially since, like, when they first, from the first time they met, it was like, Rory has her sights set on Harvard. Like, you know, if, if you if you hurt that girl, like, everyone in this town is going to be on you. Like, yeah. it's, it was instilled in him from the moment they met. Yeah, so that insecurity for me is nothing new. And I think um, it definitely comes out again when he goes to pick her up at the party, which we'll talk about. Um, but I think for the first time in her life, Rory is realizing that she needs more than just like blind support yes and she needs to have someone in her life like you said she's like finally being able to establish herself as a journalist and writing really cool pieces and discussing really cool stuff at school you know she needs the adult ish version of Rory is finally realizing that she needs more than just like, yeah, I love everything you do. She wants to be able to talk about stuff, interesting stuff with the person she's with. Right. Yeah. It's not enough for her anymore. This like, just, Oh, I like you and let's make out and let's meet in the the stock room and have like, she needs stimulation. Exactly. You know, like that's the point she's at in her life. She's spending a lot of time with really interesting people at Yale. She's learning really interesting things. She's just got to experience this like once in a lifetime opportunity where somebody pointed out, rightfully so, in my opinion, that she's too safe and too guarded, you know? Yeah. So I think for her, when I say she's over it, I think she's starting to realize that like this is not the relationship that I want at this point in my life. It might have been last year when I was a little bit like doubting myself and needing to drop classes and stuff, but it's not what I need right now. Yeah. Um. So when I look at that scene in the stock room and she's like literally like pulling teeth, trying to get him to say something about her article. And he's just like, you want this gray thing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, girl, run. <laughs> run. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. You can see, like, it's a good thing you brought up Dean's insecurity, because in that moment, like, he, he realizes. That's why I wrote down, like, even Dean knows he's too lame for Rory. Like, in that moment, he realizes, like, oh, I don't have much to offer. Like, you know? Yeah, no, I just, I think it's frustrating. And I think we're at, it's, it's more frustrating for me as a viewer that we're at episode eight 
and like they're still forcing these scenes down my throat. Yeah. And then I think like maybe she needs to come to the realization herself. I don't know why I'd have to take eight, eight episodes, <laughs> but that's me as a viewer talking. But I think like as a character, yeah, she probably just needed that time to be like, this is definitely not what I had in mind. <laughs> hmm. You know? Um so I don't know. When I watch the scene in the in the stockroom, I guess, I just feel so sad for her. And for him, kind of, because I'm like at this point, I get the feeling that he's just staying with her out of obligation. Yeah. Because he ruined his marriage. Not for her, but I guess, yeah, for her. <laughs> you know, so I think he's just like, well, what am I going to do if I don't stay with the woman that I che- ruined my marriage for, you know? Yeah. Um, And I also just feel like maybe he's feeling... I don't know, maybe this is me reading a lot into it, but, you know, she's she's going to school she has seemingly her let her shit together more than him at least you know um she is leading this really interesting life and he's working three jobs yeah you know so it's probably like well maybe he doesn't want to talk about it because it's also really depressing for him and that's the thing too like speaking of when you know speaking of it's not that deep and we 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 know we go deeper than maybe the writers intended it to yeah. To be perceived. But in this case, like I said, I said it either last episode or sometime in season five. Um, like they didn't go deep enough with Dean's character. And I think that really comes out a lot in season five. In terms yeah, of Yeah, and I think I, I agree with you. And I think part of the reason why fans just don't like him mm-hmm. is because what they did give us is not enough to like. Like I need more. I need more substance. If you had given me a little bit more backstory or, you know, even nuances to his character, maybe I would have been like, you know, how we just, how we discuss Jess and, you know, we can see where he's coming from, even though he has bad character traits, like all of that. You never gave me any of that. No, exactly. So I'm sorry. It's your fault that I hate him. <laughs> and like, not, you know, not to point fingers or call anybody out or anything, but, you know, we do get a lot of hate on our social media from Dean fans. Anytime we post mm-hmm. something about Jess or Logan, it just erupts into like this, free for all in our comment section we always have to turn the comments off Always. yeah thank you for that by the way Hmm. um (laughs) but you know not again not to point fingers but i because dean fans come at us all the time all the time literally they never stop you guys like never anyway um like it's a lot it's a lot of younger girls i find who, you know, based on a profile picture, I'm not going to judge, but looks like not yet college age, maybe just in college, like wouldn't like probably doesn't probably doesn't have a lot of life experience yet to know the reasons why Dean is a weak character and the weak link in a lot of the situations. So, you know, not to not to say you're, you're dumb and clueless like Keanu don't get it, but it's just I think it I think it explains a lot when people on social media in the fandom defend Dean. It's like, what life experience are you coming from exactly when you defend Dean, you know? Yeah, and part of me, I agree with you, and I I think part of me thinks that the people that are defending Dean are having quite had that realization that maybe Rory has in this stockroom. Like, are not at that point in their lives where they need, like, a little bit more, you know? So, like that's the only way I can kind of sympathize with them. Yeah. Um, 
that's when I'm in a good mood. Other times I'm just like <laughs> turning the comments off and like, fuck you. But, um, yeah, I get what you're saying about experience. You know, some people just, I don't know. Some Maybe you've lived a really, really great life and this is enough for you and that's great. Um, no, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sorry. Just no. I don't know what else to say. No. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but yeah, I think I stand by what I said. I think they're over it, both of them. Um, and I think Dean's insecurity is really pushing him right now to be over it. And I think he's trying really, really hard, um, not to let it get to him, but it's really, really difficult. Um, because that's been with him since she was 16, since they were 16, right? Yeah. So anyways, I don't know. RIP Rory Dean. And especially since, like, even Emily acknowledges when, you know, they're at dinner in the beginning, and it's like, are you seeing anybody? Oh, you're back with Dean? And it's like, the first thing that Emily says when Dean is brought up is, the boy who made her the car? Like, even even her grandmother remembers, like, that's all Dean, that's, like, that was the one thing Dean did, you know? Like, I mean, to be fair, like, even if he had done more she wouldn't have made an effort to remember because she hated him from the get-go just because who he was yeah absolutely um but yeah as somebody as a fan who hates dean i get get it yes um okay let's talk about liz and tj okay um because it's the return of liz and tj since we haven't seen them since the second episode of the season Mm mm-hmm where Luke goes to the Renaissance Fair to help them because they got into an accident. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of miss them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of miss their their wacky sense of humor. I guess. Yeah, I find I find in this episode especially, like the act, like the actors' chemistry with each other was just like really on point, and it's. The, and like the, I think the writing for Liz and TJ too was really like really strong in a way that was kind of flew under the radar. Like we always acknowledge like Lorelai's witty dialogue and the witty repartee that she has with other characters. But I find like a lot of the writing for Liz and TJ was like extremely extremely smart and funny, but only between the lines when you really pay attention to it. And I think it's difficult to I think it's difficult to get to a point of appreciating it because Liz not so much, but TJ is just so fucking annoying and like. For I think for a casual at a casual glance or a casual viewer, like you're not going to invest in a character like TJ because he's annoying. But that's the whole point. And you kind of like yeah, it's just it's just a style of comedy that you have to really let grow on you. And I've I still I still think Liz and TJ are annoying as a couple together. Like they complement each other. But and TJ himself is always annoying. And there's times where I'm like I want to sh- throw a shoe at the television. But I don't know. I think in this I think in this case where they're arguing in Luke's apartment while he and Laura were supposed to be on a date, and she's like, you're ruining their evening! And they're, like, both yelling. It's like, hey, well, now you're both ruining their evening. I don't know. It just, it just felt really, really well executed to me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I will say that I think the writing is done on purpose. I think they're written that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they're written to be annoying because Luke needs to be annoyed with them. Yeah, and, exactly. But also, you know, remember that scene in season four where Jess comes back and he tells Luke that he has to fix everything. I just like to point out, ladies and gentlemen, I was not the one to bring up Jess this time. It was okay, her. Okay, well, I'm not bringing up Jess just to bring up Jess. I'm bringing up Jess because it's important to the conversation. 
Yes, he wanted to. He, yes, he told Luke he he didn't have to fix everything. Yeah, he told Luke that he like he he needs to be involved and needs to fix everybody and you know he needs to be the fixer essentially. Um, that like I think they write Liz that way so that we can. See, I think they write Liz and TJ in a way that makes them odoy so that we can so that they can let Luke's personality come through more. Yes, definitely. So I think they're written that way for the sake of Luke's character more than anything else. Yeah, for so, sure. Because they, they serve as like supporting players for Luke for the rest of the yeah. show. So, you know, he's always having to go and rescue them, you know, with the the renaissance fair you know with the the wedding he took over the wedding planning um now with the house so they're buying a house in this episode and tj's all excited because he's an escrow even though he doesn't know what the fuck that means um you know and luke is like you bought a house you just started looking and she's like well what the first one we saw and he's like oh my god like (laughs) he's being very luke like he has to fix it she's like why'd you buy the first one you saw did you get it inspected like he's very much a worry wart um especially when it comes to his sister obviously but so i think that's why they're written the way they are Um, i mean i would also i don't know if this was deliberate and i've brought this up in the past um I don't think it was necessarily done this way on purpose by the writers, but to me as a viewer, um, I think a lot of the a lot of the time they spent uh, writing Liz and TJ as like annoying and zany and wacky was mm-hmm. like I want to say a way to soften Liz's character, but I, again I don't know if, no, if it was that deep, but to me as a viewer, it's like you know Liz did a number on Jess as a parent and. Yeah. I think we kind of it's I think maybe it was like easier for us to forgive those those grievances if she's the wacky annoying sister and not like the borderline emotionally abusive mother mother that we're we're given to assume she was in in a lot of ways so I don't know I think I think it all worked out I, you know I, by season six I think Liz and Jess have found, found common ground among each other so you know it, it all comes full circle but I don't know to me. I, mean, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think they really did try to soften Luke's, um, Liz's character. I think, though, that was also done deliberately because in real life, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't get like, ideally we would like for Jess and Liz to have like this <laughs> blow-up scene where Liz acknowledges that she was a terrible mother and they come to some kind of understanding based on having talked it out, right? Yeah. Um, like that's the ideal fix. Everyone acknowledges that trauma was done and that she wasn't the best mother and everything and yada yada yada. But I think it's also done deliberately and in a very smart way because real life isn't always like that. Yeah. And sometimes a lot of people who have caused trauma um don't acknowledge it and don't even realize even after you've told them or you know they've seen the fruits of their trauma um it just doesn't work that way sometimes you know and it's left you're usually left having to move on without getting that moment yeah so i think that was done deliberately because that's just life Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think it shows real growth on the part of the person who experienced the abuse to be able to then say like, yeah, okay, I have my differences with my mother. It's never going to be great, but we can move on because I can acknowledge my shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think they did it deliberately also to bring Jess's character full circle. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is another reason why Jess is superior to Dean. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we should move on from this now because it's it's getting out of hand. Ugh. Anyways, so um, Luke and Lorelai are having their romantic evening. And can I just say that how did Lorelai not know that Luke can cook? <laughs> he, he runs a diner. He runs a diner. He literally, she, no, she had to know because... She would literally force him out of bed to make them pancakes because, oh, like, Caesar's cooking. Oh, like, we need to make, we need Luke to make us breakfast. Like, obviously, it can cook, bitch. Hello. Yeah. And also, can I just say, I feel like the writers <laughs> just started naming dishes. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. because he made, I think, four main courses. Yeah. Like, I'm just, they're like, Scott, just say whatever. Nobody cares. Like, <laughs> but anyway, so he made her this big thing and TJ barges in. And I think the comedy of TJ and Liz in this episode was really, really great. Like you said. Yeah. I think it compliments them beautifully. Especially, ask- especially while all of that's going on, Lorelai's trying to call her parents' house and keeps getting maids who can't speak English. Yeah, exactly. Also, did you notice two maids in this episode? Yes. Well, I'm, they probably needed more than one for a party. Probably. But what I'm saying is the main maid that was there when they had Friday night dinner was named Olga. And then the Spanish maid picked up. True. Yeah, that's, but it's, 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 that's happening in a few episodes where there's one maid at the beginning of the episode and another, and another maid by the end. I would love to hear from like some of those extras. <laughs> like they didn't have a lot of them didn't even have lines. It was just like here, put on the maid suit, and you're you're the maid for this for this scene. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Because as I was browsing the interwebs, the interwebs, the interwebs, I saw someone say that the kiss that Lorelai and Luke have at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So you know when he's sending her on her way with her cheesecake. Yes. By the way, tiniest cheesecake in the world. And also, he just literally put it in a Tupperware with his hands. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> Anyways, that's not what I was going to say. Um, but so that scene where they're where he's sending her away with her cheesecake and they kiss. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, and a bunch of people agreed on the Internet, that that was their most important kiss of the whole season. Okay, talk about not being that deep. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. But um, I think what they were trying to get at, and again, it's hard because it's just a few couple sentences on the internet, but I don't know if they meant their most important or at least their most, to me, it felt like their most sexual kiss. Was this on Reddit? <laughs> I don't know where it was, honestly. I'm trying to look for it now and I cannot find it. Um. I mean, maybe like the most sexual, but I don't know if it would be, it was, I don't know. I, I haven't, I didn't really give it that much thought now that you ask me, but I think it was uh, a, a good kiss. I wouldn't necessarily like rank it 
you know? <laughs> All right. Sorry for springing it on you. No, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it, it, what they were getting at was that their kisses up until this point have been very PG. Okay. And, like, they're doing them in, like, it's, like, peck on the cheek in the morning or, you know, it hasn't been too explicit. Not that this one was explicit, but maybe explicit by WB standards. But I think that's what they were trying to get at, of the kiss being more meaningful in the sense of it wasn't just a a, a peck, like, in the mornings when she comes to get her coffee or, you know, even at the end of the night when he's dropping her off. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was definitely more meaningful than anything else, and probably by by the WB standards was a bit more risque than just a peck on the cheek but yeah yeah I would okay I'd, I, I would agree with that okay I was just curious what you thought <laughs> I mean yeah. I don't necessarily analyze kisses <laughs> like I don't know either I'm with you I, I have no idea um but then I started thinking more and more about it and I was like yeah it was like verging on a makeout and like we haven't really seen that from them yet Right. And, you know, from the point of from the episode where they had their first date, which was 503 to now, it's been pretty tame. Yeah. And it seems like, well, I think part of the reason is because they were such friends for such good for such a long time Mm -hmm. that it got very familiar very quickly. Right. So I think the more I thought about the kiss, this one, um. The more I started thinking, I kind of see where the person's coming from because it got very, like, mom and dad very quick. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't really have, like, that hot and heavy um, period, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, every every show that you watch where you've been waiting for characters to get together for so long, and I think partly this is, you know, just television in this day and age – there's always like the episodes that come later where you're like, Oh, I can't wait because it's going to be very hot and heavy. (laughs) And this was just like, okay, we saw them kind of wake up in bed together the next day. But then the date after that, they were just at the movies. Yeah. And I think it's cause like, I think it's like hot and heavy aren't, aren't adjectives that you would necessarily apply to Gilmore girls. So yeah, I think, yes, like I said, I think context matters. So like the show itself, but as a fan, you're like, we've been waiting for this for so long. And then they they go right away into very boring rep mode. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to analyze once you put like once you once you notice it, you know, it I think I think there's a lot of that across Gilmore Girls. Like how like how would it have been written differently if it was on uh abc instead of the wb i don't think very different like in terms of like network tv it probably would have been around the same i don't know maybe if it had been on hbo instead of network tv is getting pretty racy these days yeah now it is but like in 2004 not so much i I think anytime like there was was a little bit what show like er was still pretty heavy yeah, in terms, yeah, in terms of like, Im- like it was, there was a lot of like graphic imagery on certain shows, um, depending on what they were like, either medical or even on cop shows, there was a lot, there could be graphic imagery like on CSI. CSI could get pretty graphic at times, um, 
yeah no i think i think it's just like you said context is important if it if it's csi or er then you expect graphic images to flash on your screen but on gilmore girls not so much yeah but i mean i don't know i remember so Grey's anatomy came out in 2005 yes and it was already pretty racy for abc yeah it was like yeah it was sudsy (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I get it. It's the WB, like, nobody's doing that. But I think, I don't know, I think that's the reason why a lot of fans say that Luke and Lorelai were better as friends. You think? I mean, I don't, I I think the, the familiarity of the relationship, like, the relationship got really stale really quick. Okay. In my opinion, mm-hmm. like we, there was nothing fun about it once they got together again. Right. You know, and the most drama they ever had was when they briefly broke up because Emily meddled. You know, and obviously you knew they weren't gonna sk- stay together because shows do that all the time. They they make their main characters get together, break up, keep the spice going, whatever. But I think like in throughout season five, they don't really have. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Like in terms of like you can you can compare it to other like network shows that were on at the at the in the same era. Like on a, especially like on ABC, there was a lot of like it was racy and soapy and like romance and love scenes. Um, and then the flip side of like ER and CSI and graphic images of you know blood and crime scenes and emergency rooms. Um, I don't know. I think. Like, and not to say, like, the WB also didn't have its hand in, like, any kind of love scenes, like, on One Tree Hill or uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer even, like, had its fair share of love scenes. So, I don't yeah. know. I think that's a good point. Like, I I don't know. I think it's because, especially with Lorelai, who was fairly non-sexual for most of the run on the, run on the show until now, um... Like, she dated, like, you know, it was any, any, like, any kind of sexual appeal or appetite was more alluded to than fully on, full on explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think because, I think Lorelai had an image to uphold in terms of, like, a network, um, like, a network point of view. And I don't know, I don't know what that image would be from their standpoint, whether it's the, witty mom who you know isn't gonna you know have sex with her 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 boyfriend on the diner counter or something like i don't know i think well, i didn't ask for that for no you know what i mean if we consider it like on you know on gray's anatomy or desperate housewives which, which was on at the same time as gilmore girls in the mid 2000s it is a whole different ball game i think just i think i think the the family friendly nature of gilmore girls of it's a show about mothers and daughters and i think by that by season five they had already established the core of what the show was about and the tone of the show so i think to introduce a more sexual component would have would have been risky on the network's part just because it could have alienated people maybe (laughs) that's my two cents (laughs) i know i'm just trying to like it's all a jumble in my head whatever Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we um, 
We can move on to the actual party of the party's over. The party, yes. The party. Um, so Richard and Emily... No, let me back up. Emily finds out at Friday night dinner that Rory is back together with Dean. Mm-hmm. And just like she did with Lorelai, she started to meddle because yep. Dean is not good enough. And for once, I agree with um, Lorelai. But that's because I know Dean. With Emily, I meant to say, excuse me. But it does not give her any right to meddle. But alas, it's Emily Gilmore. <laughs> um, so Emily and Richard decide to have what they call an alumni party. And Rory will go, obviously, because it's her grandparents. And she can't say no to them, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But the main reason she goes is because they invited her together. And that was really smart, by the way, on their part. They knew they know how to manipulate their granddaughter. Yeah. Um. So they get together in a room and they're like, let's call her and tell her there's an alumni party and like do this really horrendous fake laugh. Yeah. And I love how Emily and Richard like hate each other so much until it comes down to meddling in either their daughter or their granddaughter's life. Yeah. I think that's always going to be their common goal. Yeah. Especially now. Like like, enemies putting their, their hatred aside for the greater good. Yeah. Like, you ever seen, well, you're not really big into, like, comic book movies and stuff? Please ask. (laughs) What? Please ask. (laughs) No, but I'm saying, like, you know, like, two sworn enemies that are, like, there's a greater evil afoot. We must combine forces. Like, to them, (laughs) that's the greater evil. Yeah. Like, there's nothing worse in their minds than their granddaughter or daughter dating a person that they do not approve of. Yeah, like it comes down to like, let's assign Rory a mate. She is completely helpless. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I also have a question though. Like how, so obviously the party turns out to be not a Yale alumni party, but uh, basically a a setup. Um, You know, there's all boys there with their parents. And I just want to know, how does this work? Does Emily just call people and say like, the bidding starts at one shipping company and a polo horse? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like a sequel to the coming out party, because especially when she comes down the stairs and she's like, everybody, here's Rory. Yeah, (laughs) like, oh my god. And the way that Emily says it, every single time, it reminds me of, like, one of the Lucille Ball, like, sitcoms from the 60s called Here's Lucy, where it's like, here's Lucy, like, here's Rory. Can I just say something? Like, that, to me, is the cringiest thing ever. Yeah. Like, you're first of all you've pimped her out you're pimping her out essentially mm-hmm. like you make her wear a diamond necklace diamond earrings and a tiara literally a tiara a tiara tiara whatever i don't know that's how i say it god damn it <laughs> um and you're like parading her around the room like she's cattle yeah and it's like, this guy's going to be a lawyer. This guy's going to, like, Campbell's soup guy is here. You know? Like, I, uh, <laughs> there are so many things wrong with this. It's crazy. Yeah, it's especially because it's not, it's obviously not, an like, it's kind of an alumni party in that there's a Yale alumni there. Yeah, but the but only it's... reason there's Yale alumni there is because they think that Yale men are the most appropriate men and will make the best mates because they can provide. 
Yeah, and I just have to say, and this comes, this came to mind when I was watching the, the, the later scene after the party where Lorelai finally gets Emily Richard on the phone. Yeah. Like, they're just like hiding, like they're branding, they're grooming, basically is like wanting more for her, like wanting the best for her, and it's just like, to me, or my like Richard and Emily in this episode and in this context at the party, like remind me a lot of. All Lives Matter conservatives in terms <laughs> of, <laughs> and I, oop. <laughs> um, yeah, like, go just, on. Like, they're the kind who say, like, oh, well, we're not judging, like, people like Dean or Luke, like, but clearly you are. And it's like, oh, all lives matter. No, no, just, just the lives that we think are the best. And you know what I mean? Like, when people say all lives matter, it's clearly only, like, it's just a way to get out of saying, Black lives matter. It's a way of saying uh, only the lives I think matter matter. Yeah, I mean, I think they always preface it also by saying like, there's nothing wrong with Luke and Dean. Yeah. But we just don't want them for us, our family. You know. Yeah, which I'm sorry is just is is <laughs> if you think about it, is the same con is the same concept ground like you know. The, the same concept pretty much as racism, for lack of a better term. I mean, it's classism, right? Yeah, classism. <laughs> um, but I mean, to me, like, the fact that they've, they've essentially manipulated her into coming, they're parading her around the room and, like, telling her, look at all your options, pick one. Um, none of that is as bad, though, as when she confronts them and then they're, like, gaslighting her. I literally wrote. What do you we mean, love, daughters? We I literally love, wrote. We love gaslighting in my notes. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's it's pretty accurate in your notes. But I mean, like, why are you playing dumb? Exactly. Like everyone with eyes can see that it's a sausage fest. Yeah. And you're like, what do you mean they don't have daughters? Oh, we never noticed. Mm. Like, shut up. And especially, it's, like, obviously, there's many things that are wrong with the party, right? But to, to like, to want more for your granddaughter and also want her to adhere to this backwards conservative finishing school mentality, um, how, what's not clicking? I don't, it doesn't <laughs> compute. Mean- Honestly, though, I would have respected them more if, like, let's say they had the party and the same thing happens. Like, they're bringing her around the room and then Rory then takes them and says, you know, like, guys, you know, it's an alumni party, but don't any of your friends have girls? So, like, imagine that exact same scene. I would have respected them more if they had just said, you know what, Rory, this is a party for us to show off our granddaughter to essentially meet men or like meet bet like obviously they wouldn't have said meet men they would have said like meet better company more esteemed company and uh get to know some uh, guys that go to school with you and like the future leaders of tomorrow you know like i would have expected i would have like, appreciated it more but instead you're taking like lorelei said in her in her call to them right mm-hmm you're you're taking a kid who loves you and would do anything for you and who came to this party because you guys coerced her like together. Yeah. You knew exactly what you were doing and you're like threw her to the wolves kind of thing, you know? 
And even yeah. then, they like they they're just like so firm in their denial of like. Yeah, they don't care. No. They don't care. And it's and it's and it's a side of Emily and Richard that I I really don't like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is definitely not them at their best. No. Richard and Emily have a lot of great qualities, and that you know they love really hard. Mm-hmm. They love their granddaughter. They love their daughter, even though sometimes they choose the wrong ways to show it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but nobody can deny that they love their children, their, their daughter and their granddaughter. Yes. But this is the side of them. Season five in general is, a, um, a season. It's not their best season. Let's be honest. Yeah. From the get go, like they're very self-involved with their separation. Mm-hmm. They're very petty and they drag everyone else into it. Um, and now with this, like, I, I don't, you're right. I don't like the side of them. I think it's awful. Um, you know, even if you do, even if you don't like the fact that she's with Dean, like, why don't you just think, let things run their course? Yeah. Like, this is essentially the episode where things come to an end on their own. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have waited another week and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, you know, you you can't, you can't. have to imagine that she's 20 years old. She's not going to end up with this guy forever. Yeah. I don't, but I, I think they're just so stuck in their ways and so, like, just conservative. That they're, like, 20 is practically an adult. You know? Also, if you do the math, like, Emily had... Lorelai when she was 23 yes which means that she was married fairly young yeah so maybe for them it's still like you know she's in a she's gonna get married tomorrow (laughs) well yeah they have that debutante mentality yeah anyways I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know (laughs) it's it's not a great episode for them and it's just um it's it's hard to watch because obviously Rory, I think, made an effort to, quote unquote, call them out in her own Rory meek way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's never going to do anything more than that. Like, that's the last they ever heard of that. Yeah. But, you know, I think as much as I want to please my grandparents or my parents, sometimes there's there has to be a line somewhere. Yeah. But Rory does change her tune when a certain someone arrives at the party. Okay, well, I wouldn't say she changes her tune. No, but she kind of, she kind of has an easier time of it. Well, I mean, it's a familiar face, right? Yeah. She already knows Logan and Colin and Finn, essentially, even though Finn can never remember her for the life of him. Um, that becomes a running gag, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say she changes her tune. I think she's still pretty pissed that her grandparents did this in her own Rory way. We've never seen Rory essentially very pissed, but, um, you know, she already knows Logan. Mm -hmm. She just jumped off a scaffold with him. (laughs) Like, and he's just essentially saved her from a really creepy guy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think at that point where, where he's like, you were cornered, I thought I would save you, whatever. She's not exactly changing her tune about the party. And I think she's still upset, but at least it's someone she knows and she's 
making the best of it because she knows she has to stay till 8.30 at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. To me, it becomes very obvious in this episode that they're going to get together as if it yeah. wasn't already obvious. Yeah. Um, also, can I just say I love the way he looks at her? <laughs> as if that wasn't already clear from your Instagram post. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, that episode was majestic. <laughs> okay. 507, you jump, I jump, Jack. There's just so many subtle looks. And, yes. like, it's obviously clear that they're going to get together. But in this episode where he's... I wouldn't say he's fishing to know, like... But he's like, who are you going to pick? This is an obvious meat market, you know? He's kind of, like, wondering, like, what's her type? What's going on? You know, like, they're all drunk together. He drives her home. I think this is the episode where it becomes more obvious on his end. Yeah, especially because the Logan and Dean comparison is very blatant in the episode of, the like, the dichotomy between the two. Um, yeah. Like... Just when Dean, when you know, when she asked Dean, like, what do you think of the article? He's like, I don't know, you're the writer. Exactly. Yeah. Logan, but Logan, like, gives her an actual analysis, some crit, like, I wouldn't say constructive criticism, just like, just gives him, gives her his opinion, you know? And yeah, but I mean, it's very clear just from that that he obviously read it. Mm-hmm. He obviously knows a little bit more because just in those two sentences, he tells her, like, too many similes for my taste, but it had a, I can't remember which journalist he said. It it had a vibe of. Yeah. But it's like, finally, the stimulation I'm craving. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah, the dichotomy is very, very obvious. Yeah, I think, I don't know. In terms of, you can't really compare Logan and Dean. Like, they're, and, and thankfully, they got, thankfully, like, Dean gets the boot fast enough that it's not an issue, you know? Yeah. Um, should we talk about the, when, when Roy goes out to meet Dean at the car? Yeah. So when Roy goes out to meet Dean at the car, um, I think everyone's a little tipsy by this point mm-hmm. and the guys are like, well, we have to see who this guy is, blah, blah, blah. And when I say, when I said earlier in the episode that I think they're both over it, I think this is a really clear example of Dean being over it because the Dean of yesteryear, <laughs> yesteryear. The, the dean of the past, um, you know, seeing Rory with any other guy, even if it was innocent, which is not entirely innocent in this case, but, you know, even if it was innocent, would have raged a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I keep thinking back to the, the dance marathon episode where, like, he was so mad that Jess and Rory were staring at each other all night and bickering because they had feelings for each other, obviously, that even in a crowd, he couldn't help but yell at her and embarrass her, right? Yeah. This time he's like, oh, what am I doing here? Whatever. I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you can, yeah, he, he it was, it was less anger and more like, she, she humiliated me. Like, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think it's that. I think it's just more defeated of like, what are we doing? He's yeah. right. What are we doing here? But, like, I'd like to unpack his statement of, I don't belong here. Sure, we can do that. (laughs) Because it's definitely going back to what you said earlier of Dean's insecurity surrounding being with Rory. Either he's not smart enough or not good enough, as as both her grandparents and, I don't know, as anybody else. Who who besides her grandparents have made clear to him 
that he's not good enough. I don't know if that may come from with comes from within as well. I uh, made it clear. Yeah, but no, it's I think I think it's clear to him just be, just being with her, even in season two. You know, he he just wants to hang out and have fun and like, oh well, excuse me, I could care less about hard and. Mm. Again with this Deha accent. <laughs> it's my Dean voice. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> just, just the way he says, like, I don't belong here. Not anymore. It's like it's like he's blaming her for telling him to come pick her up there. It's like, why would you why would you put me in this situation? It's like, why is that Rory's fault? It's like why like it's it's as if he's blaming her for his insecurity, you know? But that's always been his MO though. Yeah, I know. It's not surprising. It's not at all surprising. He always thinks that he's not good enough for her. Even in the beginning, like, when they were first starting to date, he always had that insecurity, and then he makes it her fault. Yeah. That's classic insecurity. (laughs) Yeah. it's Yeah. Now that you pointed out, it's not, definitely not surprising. It's completely his MO. It's just, it's, it makes, it bothers me every single time I watch this episode, because, just like I don't belong here. Okay, bye bye. Like what? You, like why is that my fault? Yeah. I mean, look. I think. Yes, part of me thinks. Okay, part of me knows it's his insecurity, and he's very obviously doesn't belong there, and he knows he doesn't belong there. But another part of me is like, well, even though he knows he doesn't belong there, he's at the point right now where he's just like done trying, and he's done like fighting for it, you know. Um, because like even in their past breakups, he was he was angry, mm-hmm. and he never really was over it, right? Right. Um, I think that anger made it clear that he was just not over it and very involved. Because you wouldn't get that angry if you weren't if you didn't still have feelings for the person. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember because it. even at the dance marathon, he yeah. was angry at her. But it's not like he wanted to break up. If it were up to him, they would stay together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at this point, he's just like, like, what am I doing here? What, what, like, for, I think he's saying it more for himself also. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, he's, he's like, he's telling himself, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, why am I picking her up? Like, she's clearly at this party. Like, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it was still rude, just like, to go all the way there to pick her up and then drive off. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I'm not saying like, I, but I think for him, he's just like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, why do I care? What? This is obviously not working. Like, but you, why like, did I drive all the way to Hartford? <laughs> like, have an adult conversation about it. Oh, I agree 100%. <laughs> Ugh, and it's on her too, but more, but like, she, she, she's not the one who just drove off and ended it just like that, you know? No, I get it. And I think I like that you said that because I do think there there is a certain amount of not blame per se, but there's a certain amount of um, culpability. I don't know. Yeah, because she also had her opportunity to say, like, this is not working for us. Like, let's go our separate ways. But yeah. again, like, it's safe for her, right? Yeah, it's safe. And I. I think it was just it had run its course, and I think she was in a she was in a, in, a, in a different place at the start of season five, and now only eight episodes later, she's not in that place anymore. You know, I think it's it's very emblematic of the young adult's trajectory. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yay or nay to Logan comforting her? 
Um, in this context, yay, but <laughs> I don't know. He's he's a bit of a dick in the coming episodes, so. I think for this episode, yay or nay, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, yay. Okay. Um, because the chemistry is there, and you want to you want to cheer for it, right? I think yes, but I think also you're like finally someone that's not Dean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but also like, you know, what a dick move to also just drive off mm-hmm. in front of all these guys that she goes to school with. Yeah. Um, and like, what did you expect them to do? They all seem very concerned, to be fair. Yeah, I don't know. I think it def it's just I think it comes down to Dean's insecurity through it all. Cause like he was not only in, he was not only insecure about his relationship with Rory, he was also made insecure by all the guys that she came out with. Like he was like made insecure by who they were, their you know, their stature, their they're all Yale men, and he's just some yeehaw farm boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, even, and even like Paris referred to him as farm boy a few episodes ago. So yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I think he, he, you know. Remember in at the dance marathon when he says, "We're like, oh, get your stuff, let's go," and Jess says, "Oh, that's good. Now say, get in there and make me my supper." I think yeah. that. I think that kind of pushback that he got from Jess left a mark and he didn't he like I think he didn't want to make a scene in front of these guys and like have them heckle him and it's like he's kind of like been there done that you know he's like I'm not doing this again with you of you have there's other guys who might be interested in you and I think he's he's done playing games which okay fine but you know he still should have an adult conversation and not just be like I don't belong here not anymore you look really nice okay bye like but honestly, as a viewer, <laughs> would you want to see that conversation? Because what is going to be said? No, I'm over it. It was, it was, it was, it was. That's ex- what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> we're just over it. They don't need to have a conversation because it's done. Yeah, I think from the, from the standpoint of the audience, we didn't need anything further. But if yeah. we want to analyze deeper, as we do around these parts. No, no, I know. I'm just saying. Like, I'm throwing it back to you. Of like. I think the way the audience feels at this point is the way they're feeling too. Like there's nothing really to say. What are you going to say? This is the third time they've broken up. Mm -hmm. Like it's obviously not true love guys. (laughs) Let it go. Make like Elsa and let it go. (laughs) I want to talk about the last scene of the show, which is essentially Lorelai peeking out of the window and seeing Rory stumbling out of a limo, very drunk, surrounded by these guys. Yeah. Um, very telling. And I think her concern in this case is a valid one. I think it's there's a lot of complicated character dynamics that start to come out to play at this point that continue into season six. And but I think at this I think at this point her concern is valid, and the, the look on her face kind of is almost like a throwback to her concern of. Roy going to Yale in the first place of how childishly she reacts of like when Roy said at, remember at Christmas dinner or, or was it Chris Thanksgiving or whatever it was at um Emily Mitchell's house in season three when she's like oh you know I also applied to Princeton Yale and she's like Yale why'd you like Yale like as if like 
you should, as if you could just apply to Harvard and that's it. You know, you have to have some backups. I think is that was childish, whereas this is just like it's a look of concern, like a like a look of parental concern rather than just like a uh, a friendly face, if that makes sense, you know. So I disagree. Oh, okay, she disagrees. Um, I don't think it's concern like a mother would have for a daughter. Okay. Um, because I think in a normal mother-daughter relationship, like, yeah, you'd be concerned that your 20-year-old daughter, who's not even supposed to be drinking, is coming out of a limo with a bunch of guys and she's drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like what I think a lot of people think about when they're looking at Lorelai looking out the window. Right. Personally, I think it's more of my daughter called me from this Yale alumni party sounding pretty miserable and upset with her grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. And yet still managed to have such a good time <laughs> and find people at this party in my parents' social class that she had a good time with. Mm-hmm. Enough that she's stumbling home drunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she seems fine. She seems happy. She seems like that party went really well for her. Yeah. I think it just goes back to that central anxiety that Lorelai has always had of her daughter liking her parents' world more than she did. Yeah. Like, I have a, I had a flashback to the scene where, remember where in season one where Rory goes golfing with Richard. Yeah. Um, and Lorelai is very concerned about her liking their, their world. Mm-hmm. I think that look is very reminiscent of that. Um, yeah. Like that's to me, I think that's Lorelai's version of a parental concern. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to what I said before of to mean like she's concerned, like a parent would be concerned that your underage daughter is stumbling home drunk in a limo. I think it's this this look that's kind of similar to the, to the look in season one, whereas this is more like it's out of it's more out of her hands now that she's an adult, you know? Yeah, so I think part of that look is is very um again, foreshadowing. Yes. But it it's Lorelai is starting to realize that her daughter is now grown up enough that if she does like her parents alumni party mm-hmm. um you know it means like she's also in the yale world right yeah so as much as like lorelei thinks that she raised rory of like a in stars hollow very small town folksy mm-hmm. rory is now part of the world that her parents celebrate yeah you know so it's kind of, I think, in her mind, very confusing for her because, yes, she wanted her to, quote unquote, make something of herself and go to an Ivy League school. But not, that now means that she is in that world that Lorelai escaped. Yes. And so, you know, you can't be mad then, I think, when your daughter starts finding common ground with people from that world. Or socializing with people from that world, right? Yeah. So you can have your opinions um, about what Emily and Richard did and, like, manipulated her into this party. But like it or not, those are her peers now. 
So yeah, I think that's, she yeah, is going to eventually find somebody or mm-hmm. at least be friends with somebody who is part of that world. And that's the part I think she's struggling with right now. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to because later on she's so keen to blame all of Rory's problems on either Logan or his dad. And yeah. it's, you know, okay, they might have played a part in it, but, you know, your daughter's your daughter is no angel. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's diff like it's it's similar to the look in season one, whereas now I think like I said, it's just she's more grown up and it's out of Lorelai's control. Not out of not completely out of her control, obviously, because she's still her mother, but like it's out of more out of her control now that she's no longer a kid or a teen like a, a young teenager. Yeah, but the fact that she's still her mother, I think for Lorelai means something very different. Because mm-hmm. Lorelai has never been your typical mother. So I think now she's starting to realize that maybe her parenting style is also going to bite her in the ass eventually. Mm -hmm. Because a quote unquote normal mother would be like, how dare you be drinking? You know, (laughs) but she's never had that kind of relationship with Rory. Like she encouraged Rory to go to spring break and have drinks, you know? Right. Um, partly because she knows, I think, that her daughter is very guarded and plays it too safe, even though she told her no in the phone call, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was a lie, Lorelai. <laughs> um, but so I think this is the point where at least the audience is meant to see, like, this whole mother-daughter relationship, as much as we love it, it's not sustainable. No. Yeah, and it's that's like, what I had to say for this episode. <laughs> and it's just a, it's, that it's, note. it's the first sign of just holes being poked into that equation. Yeah. 100%. Yes, I agree. Anything else you wanted to say for this episode? No, I think I'm good. Um, I'm just glad we'd never have to talk about Dean again. Well, he makes one more appearance this season, and then we're yeah, done. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I shouldn't say that. Too quick. <laughs> um, he makes one more appearance, but, like, it's insignificant. It's insignificant, but we're still going to talk about it and get it over with when it happens. Absolutely. <laughs> but we will not be happy about it. Yes. Where can they find us, Jeffrey? Uh, they can follow us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast, um, you can email us should you like at gilmorepodcast at g- gmail.com. And we'd love it if you consider subscribing to our Patreon, where for a nominal fee each month, you can help support our podcast and gain access to exclusive members only content like our email newsletter that comes out with every new podcast episode and access to any bonus episodes that we may or not may or may not be recording very soon. So you can we do will so be recording at, very soon. <laughs> yes. Um, you can do so at patreon.com slash Podcast. And uh, we will see you next week. Nope, that's not true. We will see you in two weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Um, but yeah, go check us out. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Patreon, if you can. If yes. not, we'll wait. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's all. Thank you. Thank you for listening.